Is your business stuck? Tired of leaving money on the table? Are you ready to take it to the next level? Join us as we dive deep into the small business secrets successful entrepreneurs are implementing to see massive results. This is the Business Growth Hacks Podcast, presented by Beefy Marketing. Here's your host, Andrew Brockenbush. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Business Growth Hacks Podcast. John, what's going on, my friend? What is going on, Andrew? How are you today? Dude, I am good, man. I've been running around like a crazy person this week. I know. I We've, haven't uh, seen you at all today. I've not I've been, been in the office, office a lot myself. this week. And I'm sorry. Yeah. Forgive me. I made I'll some be- awesome video, though, of me staring out the window all alone this morning. Can't wait to show you all that. <laughs> so depressing. There's like, if it was raining and there was way <laughs> Oh, rain I didn't even turn the lights on in here. It's so sad. It's it's excellent. <laughs> oh, man, that is great. Well, yeah, it's been, a, it's been an insane week between... Well, I'm going to save that because we've got a great icebreaker yeah. coming up. So we've got an incredible guest. We've got an incredible guest for us today. Jeremy Miner. This guy is a celebrity. I've got to say an Instagram celebrity. Yeah. He's the founder of Seventh Level, a global sales training company, and they have a unique take on their training methods. They've got this methodology that they call the NEPQ methodology, which we'll get into that later on, but it has helped his clients multiply their sales friction-free. They're getting crazy results. And obviously, this is the Business Growth Hacks podcast, so we're looking for that kind of thing. We're looking for people that are going to give us actionable, result-driven content. He's the host of the podcast, Closers or Losers. He's got a brand new book coming out this fall. Jeremy, welcome to the show, my friend. Hey, uh, I'm going to take all of that as a compliment because my kids say I'm pretty boring. Now, no. <laughs> let's go back. Instagram celebrity. I didn't even, I started an Instagram account seven months ago. I just want to make sure you guys know. I don't yeah, yeah. consider oh, myself wow. a celebrity on IG. I literally you're started one in it. November. was the first time. It's grown nice. pretty fast though, for sure. Yeah, you're killing it, man. I was actually, obviously like a good podcast host is supposed to do. I was doing some research, watching some of your videos, that kind of thing. And there was one of your videos that really stood out to me. But I'm going to talk about that later. I'd like to kick things off with an icebreaker. Let's kick it. Ice, icebreaker. What am I going to get? All right. Here, uh, I'm torn. Okay. What is your favorite marketing or sales book? Oh, favorite marketing or sales book. There's so many. I've read about 1,400 books on sales and persuasion since (laughs) I was 21. Let me narrow that down. You know, I think one good one that I think that gives an overall experience of how the market has shifted, like in consumer buying behaviors have shifted, is by an author called Daniel Pink called To Sell as Human. To Sell as Human by Daniel Pink, I think, gives an overall generalized overview of really how a lot of things have changed in the information age we, we live in today. And I think most companies and salespeople have not, unfortunately, have not caught on to that yet. And that's why they're, a bunch of their deals are getting killed and stalled for sure. I'm going to recommend that book. There's okay. a lot. I feel bad because I, I have a lot of friends that are Arthur. So if I didn't name your book, don't get mad <laughs> at me over here. All that's right? right. You're not a sponsored ad yet. Then you don't get the cred. Okay. Like if you want to yeah. sponsor the Closers or Losers podcast, then your book will be the first on every icebreaker that he's throwing <laughs> your way. Okay, guys. There are it. so many There are so many great books, man. You've got yeah. some questionable sales books by these gurus like Russell Brunson, you know, Dot Com Secrets and, and some of those, which I found there to be like golden nuggets in some of those books. The 80-20 principle is something that I found to be really helpful. Your bookshelf is bigger than mine. My bookshelf is oh, like pretty that, loaded. It's like a small book 
shelf back here. I know. I've seen your, I mean, on your Instagram videos, you can just see like all the books that you have, which. I'm like a nerd, was, man. I love it, man. I really do. I, okay. The second question I have for you, because we were going to yeah. already do this one, but then when I saw your bookshelf, I had to like switch it up a bit. Give us a high and a low of your week so far. A high and a low? High and a low. Jeez, these are these are hard random questions. My videographer's in here like laughing at me. So okay, well let's start with the low. I was at my lake house for the last three weeks back in Lake of the Ozarks, Missouri. You guys ever seen that Netflix show with Jason Bateman, Ozark? Yeah, yeah, Ozark. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, that's that's where my lake house is at. Oh, so, nice. Anyway, so I'm there like every day. It's like raining. It's like seventy to seventy-five. My videographer's laughing at me because he he always follows me around. He's there. So it's like 75 degrees on average, 71 every day. The day I leave, it's like 71 and rainy. I land back here after almost three and a half weeks in Missouri to Phoenix. It's 114. And I just I just got the crap knocked out of my sinuses, man. It's like a yeah. 50, degree, 50 degree swing. And I was sick as hell like Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. So that yeah, was my low. Yeah. And the Saharan dust going through right now too, man. Yeah. Like, I don't know if y'all are dealing with that there. Like we are down South, but it's rough. Yeah. It's rough, man. Every, everybody here in the offices are like, we need to relocate to Dallas or somewhere in Texas. <laughs> like, I don't know, man. It's pretty hot there in the summer too. It's, it's hot yeah, it'll, too, do, man. it'll yeah. do that 50 degree difference in one day here. So yeah. <laughs> <We're not laughs> yeah, helping. I know. The Midwest. Now for the high, you know, I say my high is I, I did another 50 reels this week. So we do about 160 Ooh. to 200 reels a month. And so like Ooh. just short intentional. So we have to write those out and film them. And just, I feel like half the time I'm just doing reels in my life now. So I got a bunch of reels done. So I feel like I got a lot of accomplished and now yeah. I don't have to do any more for two weeks. And then I got to start all over again. That's baller though. I, you just got to feed the machine, man. Like you just have to keep feeding the machine. And you just, you know, it's like, ah. Uh. Yeah, you have to. I mean, unfortunately it's such a big part of the kind of way things are headed, right? It was funny that you say how many you accomplished this week because my social media manager on our staff today just met with me and she was like, if I could just get everybody on the team to do one reel per week, that would really help us get through our content. And you're telling me how many you did in a day. And I'm like, here's what you have to do. And it took me like two days to do that. But here's what you have to do. Like we film everything I do. So like every training group coaching that I do each week, which is like three group training calls, B2B clients where I might be training their sales executives. You know, he's following me around while I'm at a training event. I mean, literally we train besides the reels, we probably record another three to four hours of content every day that then gets posted. Because on on IG, like I said, I didn't even, oh, I'd never been on IG until November. And people are like, you need to get on IG. I'm like, okay. Yeah, I think it was actually one of my, it was like my 17-year-old daughter's like, hey, you need yeah. to get on IG, dad. And so I got on there. We've grown it to like 100, what are we at? 101,000 or yeah. something now? Yeah. Six months or whatever. But we do two posts a day, two like video training posts a day, seven days a week plus two reels a day, seven days a week, just on IG. We do the same thing on TikTok. We just opened up an account there about eight weeks ago. And then we do that on Facebook, LinkedIn. Now we're starting to get into YouTube as well. So if you just have a videographer just follow you around all the time and just record what you say, you, sometimes it's really good and you can just throw it on a reel yeah. or put it on a post and it's there. <laughs> it makes it easy. Yeah, we're we're certainly practicing that. Like we're getting to the point now where John, who's our videographer, is always walking around with a GoPro and it's like, yeah, let's yeah. just get as much as we can. And some of it's going to be usable and some of it's not. And like, yeah. it is what it is, you know? 
No, it's, it's good for sure. Y'all are killing it. Well, I'm excited about this conversation because one of our podcast episodes that we did, which was pretty successful and very well downloaded, was an episode all about how sales has changed. Yeah. And you are kind of a pioneer in this behavioral science and human psychology version of sales. Supposedly, yeah. Supposedly. That's what the Google says, <laughs> you know. So uh, <laughs> and humble too. Says. So I'm excited about talking about sales with you because I've got some salespeople on my staff that I'm always trying to like, you know, coach and encourage. But sometimes it's hard to like, ugh. it goes back to that Instagram video I was talking about earlier. Yeah. The video that you did that I was really appealed to, I guess, or I related to was the video where you talked about how salespeople are only investing about $90 into continuing education yeah. every year on, on average. average. That's, That's the average. average salesperson in North America. Why do you think it is that salespeople aren't investing in themselves? Because I don't think salespeople, the way salespeople are trained to sell and communicate by their companies and what I would call the old sales gurus, trigger so much emotion in them because of all the rejection that they trigger by the techniques they use that turn prospects off, that the last thing they want to do is stay in sales for the next 30 years. It's like they're trying to get out of sales into management or some other position. So they don't look at it as a I'm a sales professional. I'm in a long-term career because if they did, then they would know and they would invest in their own education to further that career. But salespeople don't look at their career as something long-term because of all the rejection simply because, I mean, the prospects they talk to have problems. They have a solution that solves that. What's the missing link? It's the way they've been taught how to communicate and sell that is triggering so much damn sales resistance in the prospects they're talking to. So they just want to get out of sales. So of course, they're not going to invest in something that they don't view themselves in being long-term. That's why. That to me makes a lot of sense. I think that there's like this stigma that comes with like a sales role, right? Like even when I talk to like young guys that want to get into sales or want to work for our agency and I mentioned sales being a great opportunity to get in the door with the bigger, cooler things that we're doing, they're like, oh, sales, there's a lot of, you know, I don't know about that. Like it's just, it comes with like the stigma of cold calling and rejection like you're talking about. Yeah, because they don't, would, have, they don't have the the confidence because if you don't, right. you don't have the right, see, here's, there's just such a big myth. It just pisses me off so much when I see this. It's exactly why I came out of retirement four years ago and started seventh level because you, you, it's like a myth, like if you really get your mindset right, and I, and I like mindset stuff, but like you got to have the, you got to get the right mindset. You got to get thick skin, you got to take rejection, you know, be tough, you know, which we all know always wears off. You yeah. got to meditate. You got to journal. None of that is going to have anything to do with your success as a salesperson when the prospect answers the phone, says hello, and you don't know what to say and ask that triggers the prospect to want to engage and actually want to open up to you rather than go into fight or flight mode and try to get rid of you. None of that is going to help you. It's great for your life and stuff. What's going to help you is knowing exactly what questions to ask, the right tonality that triggers curiosity. That's just a start of the sales process, right? So when you learn the right skills, that gives you confidence because it actually works and you actually make sales. It's just like a neurosurgeon, right? They're not going to have confidence in going in and performing their surgeries if they don't have the right skills to successfully perform the surgery, right? Mindset's not really going to help them that much. It's skill set. Yeah, absolutely. 
Yeah. Why? This is kind of a two-part question here. You know, why is it important for someone to have the ability to sell in today's competitive world? But then also, who do you think should have the skills and the abilities to sell today? And you know, kind of the way things are changing. I mean, let's just be realistic. We're everybody on planet Earth is in sales at this point. Okay, and I want you to think about this. Like, even if you don't even get paid a commission. What are you still out there doing? Even grandma's out there doing it. Everybody. You're trying to persuade, you're trying to influence, you're trying to convince, you're trying to move others. That's called non-sales selling when you don't even get paid a commission, but you're still trying to do that, right? Like for example, you guys, you're a business owner and let's say that you're trying to get your employees to follow the vision of where you want to take your company. What are you doing? You're trying to persuade, you're trying to influence, you're trying to move others. If you're an employee on the flip side, and you're trying to convince your boss to give you a pay raise, what are you doing? Persuading, influencing, move others. If you're an attorney trying to convince the judge that your client is innocent, what are you doing? You're trying to persuade. You're trying to influence. If you're, I mean, we, everybody's into politics these days. If you're a politician trying to get people to vote for you from one side to the other, you're trying to persuade. You're trying to influence. You're trying to move others. I mean, everyone, even a teacher trying to get their kids to do their homework is trying to persuade influence. So everyone is in sales now. It doesn't matter what you do. And if you learn the right skills, if you, if you learn skills that work with human behavior, no matter what you do, if you have that skill set, you're just going to move ahead in life so much more than people who don't have those skill sets, just the way it is. Yeah. And it's funny too, like we get kind of introduced to sales at a pretty young age and I just don't think we never necessarily we realize it. You know, you're selling raffle tickets, you're selling candy bars Chocolate, at school, yeah, yeah. you're selling the raffle tickets for the watermelon festival that we have down here in Texas, you know, whatever it may be. And it's always funny to me when I see like the parents come to me versus the, them sending the kids to me. It's like, come on, there's such an opportunity there for you to to teach the young, you know, the young ones coming up, the power of persuasion, the power of emotion and just psychology as a whole to influence purchasing habits and, and decisions. So 100%. Everybody's in sales. Everybody listening to this right now is in sales. Even if you're the business owner, you were in sales. Period. That's exactly right. So let's take it back for just a second. Why yeah. don't you tell us how did you get started in sales? How did you end up where you're at now where you decided, okay, I'm going to get out of retirement. People are clearly doing this wrong. I need to start teaching people how to do these things. Why did I get out of retirement? So yeah, I, yeah. I, I, I retired about, uh, let's see, when I was 38, 39, somewhere in that range, had a very successful 17-year sales career, made a lot of a lot of cash, a lot of moolah, uh, and basically retired and was going to sit back for a year or two and figure out if I wanted to do anything else, maybe some consulting, wasn't quite sure. And then I started seeing ads from the gurus. I don't know. It was like, this was like 2015, 2016, somewhere in that range, maybe 2016, somewhere in that range. Started seeing all these ads on Facebook and, and different things. And I'm like, I would listen to what they would say. And I'm like, that doesn't actually work. I'm like, if I ever sold that way or said that, I would have made 10% of what I actually made. And I just kept seeing all these people buy into these notions and then wonder why they were struggling. And I'm like, you're using techniques from like a hundred plus years ago. Today's consumers completely different. Like we live in the information age. This is not boiler room selling. This is not repackaged as consultative selling techniques. People have heard that for decades. And it just got me to a point where I saw so many problems in the market that I was like, well, maybe I should do something about it. So that's why I jumped in. I mean, you're talking about the mistakes salespeople are making what are some of the big ones that you feel like are pretty common amongst salespeople, entrepreneurs, business owners that yeah. they could be avoiding potentially? 
There's a lot. All right. I would say one of the one of the biggest mistakes that business owners and salespeople have been told that they have to be, and this has been going on for decades, is that they have to, when they talk to a prospect, they need to be really excited, like enthusiastic about what they're selling. And that typically causes them to start talking about their solution way too early in that conversation before they even find out what the person's situation or problem or challenges are, all right? And when I say that at events, people are like, no, Jeremy, I, I've always been taught that i got to be excited about what I sell. And I agree with you. You should be excited, but you have to keep that to yourself, okay? You have to keep that internal. You have to get rid of the commission breath. I mean, after all, when you talk to a really excited salesperson, what's the first thing that goes through your mind? They're just trying to sell me something, right? They're just, yeah. trying, to get, they're just trying to get their check. They're just yeah, trying to it's, just instant, it's, <laughs> it's an instant wall of resistance that you then have to compete with, okay? So behavioral science 101, within typically the first, let's say, 7 to 12 seconds of any conversation that you're in, any sales interaction you're on, whether it's B2B, whether it's B2C, whether it's door-to-door, meeting a boardroom, doesn't really matter. Your prospects subconsciously, we can't even help it, our brains subconsciously are picking up social cues from you. So they're picking up your verbal, nonverbal, even your body language cues from your tonality and what you are saying and or asking that triggers their brain to react, react in one of two ways. Okay, so if you come across aggressive on your calls, like you're posturing them, which a lot of sales trainers still teach, right? It worked in the 50s. Why wouldn't it work in 2022? But if you come across aggressive, if you've come across needy. If you come, you know, can I just take two minutes of your time? I know our solution is going to help you. If you come across attached and you don't know the right questions to ask, it triggers the brain to go into what we call fight or flight mode. Now, everybody has heard of what fight or flight mode is. I don't know if many people understand what triggers that to happen in our brains, okay? And I'm not going to give you the scientific terms like the crocodile brain or anything like that. But we go into fight or flight mode where the prospect tries to get rid of you very quickly. And they say things like, oh, you know, hey, uh, I, yeah, I know we had the appointment, but I'm really busy right now. Can you call me back later? We're good. We don't need it. Or we already use somebody for that. Or we're not interested. Or how much is this going to cost early in the conversation? Or can you call me back in a week, a month, a year later, right? Now, once you learn how to work with human behavior, once you understand the way the brain works and how it reacts, and you come across more neutral in the conversation. So when I say neutral, I mean more unbiased. Like, you're not quite sure you can even help you. You don't even know what's going on. How could you, right? You come across more neutral, more collective, and especially detached. You become detached and you know the right questions right tonality, it triggers the brain to become curious enough where they actually want to engage. They want to open up because they feel that you might have something important for them. So as sales professionals or as business owners, we have to teach our teams to come across more detached from the expectations, the neediness of making the sale. And rather focus on what problems they have and can we actually solve those and how can we? Now, do I mean when you get into sales interactions, your goal is not to book appointments or make sales? Well, obviously not, right? Your goal mm-hmm. is to make a sale on every prospect because I'm assuming that most of them have problems that you can solve. But you have to keep that to yourself because the moment the prospect feels that you are just there to sell them, 
like you were saying, is the moment they start to what? They emotionally shut down. They stay surface level. And at the end of that sales process, you get, well, I just need some time to think it over. Or we need to keep doing more research. Or we need to keep looking at other vendors. Or, you know what, now's not a good time for us. And that's just a triggered reaction because they stayed surface level with you throughout that sales process. They never they never went below the surface. Mm. That's where the sales make. This like kind of hits close to home because it's something that I've had to learn over the last 10 years being the sole proprietor of this agency whenever it was just me and one other person to the full-size team that we are now. You know, in those early days, I had to learn like make those mistakes before actually realizing that like I had to, to to be disconnected to some extent to be able to understand whether or not I was even a good fit and if they're even a good fit for the way I like to operate. And my new salesperson, his name is John. I actually have two Johns on the team. Okay. I love this guy to death, but he does still have a little bit of that commission breath, right? Like he goes you in and has you get eager. rid of the commission he, breath. Yeah, it's like it's there. It's we're the most badass agency in the planet. We've got the best price points. No one charges the way we charge. Well, no one does what other, we do. But it's like, yeah, but think about this. Yeah, here's what he's not understanding. Put it, put yourself in the buyer's shoes. How many salespeople that sell them anything every week are also saying exactly the same thing? We're yeah. number one. We have the best service. We have the best prices. And so it's like it goes in one ear out the other. They actually trust you less. When you say things like that or talk down about your competition, why? Because they're used to every salesperson who sold them vacuum cleaners to brooms, to cars, yeah, exactly. to whatever, saying the same damn thing. Yeah. Yep. It's like the sign on the side of the road that says like best cheeseburger in town. Yeah. <laughs> you aren't the only best cheeseburger. Like, <laughs> Yeah. It's like watching uh, The Bachelor and the host comes out every year, the most dramatic emotional season ever. And I'm like, I think yeah, you guys have said that the past 20 years. I'm not sure yeah, anybody exactly. believes that anymore. I, I don't know. <laughs> that is great. So obviously you approach sales differently and y'all have a unique methodology. I think you guys call it the NEPQ. Is that right? Yeah. Neuro-emotional persuasion questioning. Yeah. Bunch talk of to us a little bit about that. What is, what is that nerd talk? It's good stuff. Yeah, when I was in college, so I, I went to school for behavioral science. I don't know why, it just was interesting to me in human psychology. Okay, so that's really the study of the brain and how a human being makes decisions, how and why people are persuaded and or not persuaded to do something, which might be important to salespeople. I don't know. You might want to understand why they do that, right? Rather than throw something against the wall and hope it sticks. That's what I find so many companies do. So check this out. According to behavioral science, there are three forms of communication. I'm, I won't give you guys the scientific terms. I'll just kind of give you what a salesperson or a, a business owner could identify with, okay? And I would suggest, you know, write these down, everybody that's, that's listening, unless you're driving down the road, because once you understand the differences in persuasion and where you and your sales teams are at now, even if you're already doing decent compared to where you could be, complete will, will change everything for you, okay? As far as how large your company can scale. So the first mode of communication is really called era one type of sales. And that would be more like boiler room selling. Think boiler room selling, all right? So salespeople would know that. So we're the least persuasive when we tell people things or we attempt to dominate them or posture them or manipulate them or push them into doing something we want them to do. Like if you guys ever watch like the Wolf on Wall Street shows that they've had, 
right? So that's kind of the mentality, right? Like, hey, I've got a great opportunity for you. And then we talk about the features and benefits of what we do. And then we push and we tell them why they need to buy from us. And we've got the number one customer service and triple A rating. The, just like you guys said, we got the best this, we got the best that, which by the way, like we said, how many salespeople really come up to us and sell to us and say, well, we actually have the fifth best product in the market. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. No one does, right? Everybody great. says they're the best. <laughs> Everybody says they're the best, right? So I'll give you a few examples of the least persuasive way to sell. So presenting, be surprised here. So we're all taught that we have to have this great presentation, this long slide deck that lasts for an hour that, you know, our prospects are going to sleep on how great our products and services are. We got the best this, we got the best that, which like we said, every prospect you've ever, that has ever been sold to has heard that a million times. So they just tune you out. And like I said, your prospects, according to the data, actually trust you less when you actually say things like that, or you talk down about your competition because they're used to everybody else doing the same thing. So according to the data behind it, it's not very persuasive if your presentation is more than 10% of your entire sales process. Do you know what the average salesperson presents? About 50%. We got to cone mm -hmm. that down to 10. So it's a major difference. Telling your story. Hate to tell you, nobody cares about your story when you're selling one-to-one. -one. Whose story do they care about? Theirs. 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 Okay. Giving a sales pitch. You got to give a great pitch. According to science, very low on the persuasion. But you guys ever watch Shark Tank on CNBC? You know what I'm oh, talking yeah, about? Absolutely. Yeah, look at all the, the entrepreneurs come out there and they're all excited. I want you to watch the body language of like Barbara, Mr. Wonderful, you know, Damon John, Mark Cuban, you know, all the ones they have in there. Look at their body language when they get pitched to you by some of those people. They're like, oh, right. We get shirts for our clients now that say hashtag ditch the pitch. All right. So we, mm, we got to nice. ditch the pitch. All right. <laughs> yeah. And the big one is assuming the sale. According to the data, very low on the persuasion poll, especially if you're more of a complex sound environment that requires multiple calls and multiple touches. That's actually where I think the term sales as a numbers game came from is because we're triggering it to be a numbers game and turning off so many people that have problems that we could solve, but the way we sell to them triggers that resistance and causes them to run the other way. That's the first mode. Now, the second mode, era two type of sales, that's more known. The easiest term for me to give you guys would be more like consultative selling. You know, you've heard of that, right? Yep, so it yep. came out in the 80s with several books. One big book was uh, Spin Selling by Neil Rackham, college professor. It was like revolutionary in the 80s where he taught that you needed to ask logical-based questions to find out the needs of the client, which was like revolutionary back in the 80s. Who would have thought? I don't know. But what's a potential downfall when you only ask logical-based questions? We call those surface-level questions. Well, when you ask surface-level questions, your prospects are going to give you what in return? Surface, surface level answers. 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 Yeah. Unless they're like a lay down sale, which most people are not, right? And do human beings buy on logic or emotion? No. 100% emotion. Brain studies yeah. show that, right? So if you're using outdated surface level questions like, what's keeping you awake at night? Or can you tell me two problems that you're having right now? Or who besides you would be involved in this decision? Or what's your budget for this type of project in the first two minutes? These are just outdated surface level questions, okay? So if you're trying to get the decision maker, you know, relanguage it. You can say, instead of saying, who's the decision maker? Because most C-level executives are not going to tell you that early on. You can say, Kathy, can you, can you walk me through your company's decision-making process when it comes to solving these type of problems? 
that's just more of a question that opens it up a little bit more. And then we have to clarify and probe off that. But that's way better than who's the decision maker? Who besides, see, people aren't going to open up to that. Okay. So it's more persuasive than assuming the sale, you know, telling your story, putting massive sales pressure on people, but you're still playing the numbers game because you're not bringing out very much emotion by simply asking logical based questions. Okay. Third mode. Okay. We are the most persuasive according to the science, behavioral science when we learn how to get our prospects to persuade themselves. Now that's called dialogue. When we ask what we just talked about, what are called neuroemotional persuasion questions, it stands for NEPQ. So how do you get somebody to persuade themselves? That's the billion dollar question. That's what everybody's asking. The billion dollar question, all right? Can you just show up, Kathy, hey, go ahead and persuade yourself. Here's our routing and, and account numbers. Why are the funds at now, right? You have to learn specific skilled questions, when and how to ask those in a step-by-step -step structure that sounds natural, that gets your prospects to pull you in and sell themselves rather than you trying to push them forward. That would be the major difference in selling styles for sure. You with me? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Bunch of boring stuff. I know. No, this oh, is yeah, no. super fascinating. To I me, this. this is fascinating. I went through all the, you know, HubSpot inbound marketing methodology trading. Yeah. Because we're a HubSpot certified agency. And I remember when I first was introduced to like sales in a structured way, it was yeah. at first it was at Apple. I was a, as a corporate trainer for Apple doing grand openings and training their sales teams. And okay. then when I left Apple and became a HubSpot certified partner, we started going through their sales methodology in a good way. I feel like you're throwing a little shade towards me, but I'm open to it, right? Like I'm like, well, shit, we're doing stuff a little two-dimensional here. We're asking some surface level questions. Just challenge the way you're thinking that can That's right. open you up to new opportunities for sure. Okay. So for salespeople that are stuck, right? Or people like me that I've been doing this for 10 years and there's people that have been doing it longer than me and there's people that are brand new to selling, where should they start? Well, I mean, here's what we all have to realize. What's gotten you here? So what's gotten you here, your, your company's revenue, your, your cash flow, if you're an individual salesperson, your commissions, what's gotten you here, how will it ever get you here? It can't. What, what are you going to work twice as many hours? Like yeah. we always ask salespeople and they're like, everybody stand up if you're making a certain percentage or, or whatever, or a certain amount of income and everybody stands up. And I'm like, okay, everybody, you know, raise your hands if you work hard. Everybody's like, yeah, I work hard. And then uh, something like, hey, raise your hands if you're making exactly what you want to make. And nobody raises like, their hands. And I'm like, nobody, okay, yeah. so working hard doesn't necessarily make you what you want to make. Because what are you going to do? You already work 10 hours a day. You're going to work 20? Mm -hmm. If you're going to double your commissions, are you going to work 20 hours a day? Like you have to increase your skill level. You have to yeah. increase your conversion level with each prospect. And so many salespeople are taught to focus on the quantity of conversations that they lose track that it, they should really be focused on the quality of each conversation and converting that conversation. That's where you get big numbers. I know so many broke salespeople that work their asses off, yet they're still broke because you can work your ass off and talk to 100 people a day. But if you don't have the right questions and the right tonality and know what to say at the right time, you're going to get punched in the nose pretty quickly. Kind of like Mike Tyson says, right? Yeah. Man, this could be like a 14 part podcast. Episode, I know, that's man. What that's, yeah. what, that's what your Facebook group is for. So we'll, we'll plug that here in a little bit, but there you go. what are your thoughts on closing? I mean, obviously everybody wants to close the deal. You know, you talked about kind of joked about assuming the sale, which I literally said that to my salesperson like two weeks ago. So now I feel like 
an idiot, but what are your thoughts on clothes? <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, you have to have clothes. But sure. You have yeah. clothes. Obviously, you have to make sales. You, you can't be a problem solver unless they buy from you, right? But, yeah. but closing is one of the most misunderstood things I think about uh, that salespeople think. They, the sale is not won or lost at the end when you say, do you want the red one or the green one? Who should the contract's name be in yours or your spouse's? Why don't you give it a try? Like it, that's not where the sales won or lost. It's yeah. won or lost in the discovery part of that sales process. It's won or lost with you being able to know how to create a massive gap in their mind from where they are. We call that their current state or current situation compared to where they want to be. Okay. We call that their objective state. Now, what's the gap in between all of these newfound problems that your advanced questioning skills have allowed them to see they have that before they got in that conversation with you, they didn't realize they had? One thing we all have to understand is that most of your prospects, I hate to tell everybody this, when you first start talking to them, don't realize they even have a problem. Or maybe they know they have a problem. They don't really understand how bad the problem really is. Or they don't understand the consequences of what will happen if they don't do anything about solving said problem. Now, once you learn an EPQ, not only are you able to help them find what their problems are, because you can't tell them what their problems are because that's bias, right? It's just going to go in one ear out the other. You're the salesperson, right? You have to learn how to ask certain questions that allow them to tell themselves what their problems are. And instead of helping them find just one problem, when you learn those skills, you can help them find two or three or four other problems they didn't realize they had. And when you're able Mm -hmm. to pull that out of a prospect, how do you think they start to view you? Completely different than all these other salespeople. They view you as more of the expert, more of the trusted authority who's going to get them the results they want. And now they start thinking results-based thinking instead of cost or price-based thinking. Mm -hmm. So they will gladly throw money at you and pay Mm -hmm. you way more than anybody else because now they're thinking results-based thinking and they will gladly pay more to get the result they want than hopefully it works out. Okay. So that's, that's a big thing right there that most salespeople just have never really focused on. And we find that, you know, we call that problem finding. So if you ever heard the word problem finding, that's what I mean. Because every book back here on the shelf that I've ever read says you have to be a problem solver. And that's true. But if they don't buy from you, you can't solve their problems. So first you have to be much better at problem finding. And that's, like I said, helping them find problems they didn't realize they had. Okay. Most salespeople, most companies really train their salespeople. Like when we go into even Fortune 500 companies and we say this opening question, you know, after we talk with them a little bit. So if I came to work for you today as a new sales representative, walk me through what my sales training would look like. And you know what most companies say, even Fortune 500 companies? It's mainly product training about how the product works. Mm -hmm. That doesn't matter at all because you're not selling the thing. You're selling the results of what that thing does. Like you guys are a digital marketing agency. You're not selling them like marketing. You're selling them the results of what that marketing does, which makes them more sales, more revenue. That's what you're selling. You're not selling the thing. And most salespeople are taught to sell the thing. And that's why the thing, people get into cost-based thinking, negotiate down, and you get commoditized like everybody else. Whereas when you learn PQ, they start thinking results-based thinking and they will gladly thank you and throw money at you to solve their problem. Yeah. If you can generate yeah. results for them and solve the problem, 
why wouldn't they spend more money with you? Yeah, I mean, most salespeople, we call them product pushers, right? It's not their fault. It's just the way they're trained. I was trained that way originally 20 years ago. But it's like they take it a bucket of mud and like throw it up against the wall, hoping and praying that something they're going to say is going to magically trigger that prospect to want to buy. And we call that hopium. It's a drug that so many companies and salespeople are on where they just hope and pray that something they say is going to make people want to buy. <laughs> it's a very hard and unpredictable way to scale your company or as an individual salesperson, make a lot of commissions for sure. Don't take drugs. Kind of, drugs are yeah, don't, bad. Don't take drugs are bad. Don't take hopium. Don't take <laughs> the hopium drug. I'm glad this conversation kind of pivoted to the company side of things because I think we've given enough pressure and hard times to the salespeople. What can companies be doing to set better expectations and create better training experiences. I mean, you kind of talked about it just a little bit there, but how should companies change the way that they're currently doing things to see better results in the future? You got to bring in companies and trainers that actually know how to sell to today's modern day buyer. I see so many companies that just, they're using outdated techniques. They just don't know. You don't know what you don't know, right? You're like, oh, hey, this guy's been around. He's 80 years old or, or whatever. He's been training for 40 or 50 years. Well, yeah, when he was talking to people 50 years ago, the consumer was probably a little bit different, right? I mean, think about even 20 years ago. 20 years ago, before the power of the internet and social media, what was the bridge between the company and the consumer? It was the salesperson. Besides like newspaper, radio, TV, maybe direct mail, People didn't know about what you did without being educated by a salesperson. People expected that, okay? But in our day, you know, everybody calls it the information age. Well, that's what it is, right? It's the information age. In our day, people know everything about you by, you know, going to their phone and just Googling you on their smartphone, right? Because people, if you think about this, people are being sold to 24 hours a day, seven days. When I say this oh, yeah. events, we're like, oh, I'm not being sold to all the time. Oh, yes, you are. Let me tell you why. Because when you get up in the morning, what's the first thing you do? You pick up your phone and you do what? Open up a social media app, TikTok, yep. and Facebook, Instagram. you see Instagram. ads, ads trying to yep. sell you something. Ah, it starts yeah. right there in the very beginning. You get up, you walk into the kitchen, you start pouring some coffee, you turn on the TV, you see commercials trying to sell, sell you sale. something, right? Ah, yep. you get into the car, you turn on the radio to go into work or your office, you hear ads trying to sell you something. You drive down the road, you notice some billboards on the side, you see ads trying to sell you something. You're at lunch or just sitting around. You get back on your phone and you notice your aunt is pitching her latest, greatest MLM opportunity. Somebody's trying to sell you something 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And because of this newfound phenomenon, especially in the last 10 years, especially the last five, six years, your prospects are developing walls of resistance that are automatically mm-hmm. triggered any time they feel someone is just trying to sell them anything, like even the talk of it. So you have to learn how to approach a prospect. It's really your tonality. It's really the, the bridging into the question and how you naturally sound that triggers them to become curious enough to want to engage back. Once you learn those skills, selling becomes very, very easy and very, very profitable in any industry. I feel like companies really have a, the biggest opportunity here. I mean, salespeople do too, right? Like, I love the fact that you're talking to salespeople. About companies are in their salespeople, right? If there's no sales, but, there's no company. That's right. And it's like, I've walked into companies to do like sales software implementation, and I've asked them to show me what their sales process is or their sales deck. And some of these companies have got such a 
old school methodology and approach, you're just like, I don't see how you're selling anything. Like legitimately, I don't know how you've closed a deal in the last year because it's just so old, right? And I remember going to a, a big professional employer organization and helping them with this. And he pulled out this 50 page deck. And I was like, do you show that to every prospect? He's like, oh yeah, we have to show them what we offer. And I was like, Holy oh, shit. It's, like, it's over there. that's <laughs> ridiculous, bro. So like, sales they could be making. I'm so bored already, yeah. and I haven't even been approached by you guys. So, I think, it's I think there. there's certainly an opportunity for companies to be leveraging talent and people like you that have created programs to educate salespeople in a new light and a new methodology. Here's the thing prospects, information age, like, this is not going away. It's only going to become harder and harder and harder for your company to make sales, especially, you know, hey, economic times that have been good the last five, six years before COVID, we're not always going to be in those times. So when you have economic contraction, like we're about to experience right now, now. Yeah. your salespeople, any shortcoming in their sales ability will only be magnified by 10 and it will become harder and harder for them to close sales for you because there will be way less lay down sales. So what are the consequences if you don't learn advanced skills that actually work with human behavior when it's harder to sell? If you don't learn advanced skills, if you sell the way you always have and selling becomes much harder, what happens to your company revenue? Starts, Starts to go down. Deep. That's right. Yeah. Doesn't for, the sales, for the salespeople out there listening too, I mean, if you want some job stability through these next few years, as we're starting to see kind of this unfortunate decline of the market, then you better train up. You better figure out what you're doing wrong and what you could be doing right if you want to have the ability to not only progress with the company that you're currently with, but the company you want to work for. I mean, that's the bottom line. Yeah. If you have the right sales ability, you understand human behavior, you know exactly what to do. It doesn't matter what you sell, that your company could go out of business tomorrow. You could go sell in a completely different industry. And within 60 to 90 days, be the number one salesperson in that company. And I don't care how big that company is. I'm not kidding when I say that for sure. Yeah. Because like you said, it's not about the product. You're not selling it's the product. Not, it's not. It's about a structured mm -hmm. process. It's all the way from connecting questions that take the focus off you, put it on your prospect. It's about situation questions, helping them and you find out what their current situation really is. It's about problem awareness questions. Okay. I'm just giving you guys some labels. What are the real problems? What are the root cause of the problems? Most salespeople wouldn't even know how to get that out of a prospect. Okay, They're not just going to give it to you because you ask some standard surface level question. How do you find out what the root causes are? And more importantly, how do you find out how those problems are affecting them even personally? That's where emotions start to come out. Okay, And it builds a massive gap. Solution awareness questions allow them to see what their future is going to look like once all these newfound problems are solved. And then consequence questions basically help them question their way of thinking of what the ramifications and consequences are if they don't do anything. Okay. I'll give you an example like, okay, so you guys are like a digital marketing firm, right? So what problems do you guys solve? What are your two biggest problems you guys solve? I'll give you an example. The ones we serve for our clients, right? Would be not enough leads, not enough organic traffic to the website, aka not enough leads. And then probably poor visibility from a branding perspective. So, so again, so not what, enough awareness. What happens if you don't do anything about this and you keep getting these lower quality leads into your salespeople and your revenue keeps stagnating the next three, six, 12 months from now? Like what happens then? See, that's an example of a consequence question that you would use yeah. for your space. Yeah. Now I can take that same, that same structure 
of a consequence question. And I can use that in every industry on planet Earth. So when you yeah. have that sales structure, you can take that into any industry. That's why we, tr- you know, Forbes magazine said there's 150, I didn't know this, but according to Forbes, there's 158 industries on planet Earth. Now there's subcategories of each industry. We train in all of them. We get results in all of those industries. That's why our sales process doesn't work just for one industry, like most sales trainers, but we can take that same structure into financial services, digital marketing, yacht sales. We could go sell Boeing jets to the government. I mean, it doesn't matter what the process is. Once we find out the problems, how the solution solves it, then we write out the sales structure around that process and it's easy. Yeah. This is gold, man. I think the people listening yeah. to the podcast today are going to be able to pull a lot from this. I'm going to listen to this episode. I've got one more tough question. All right. You. Give me a tough question. I've got to jump What's, into me. Yeah, right. What sort of sales trends are exciting you right now? That's my last tough sales, question of the day. Sales trend. You know, say, the thing that's really exciting me right now is I think we're about to hit a massive recession early in the fall. And to me, that's really exciting because I know even more companies are going to come to us because... They're going to realize that what's gotten them there is just going to make them less sales now because there's far less lay downs to happen. So to us, you know, hey, recession's completely fine with us. We're, you know, we we can help companies, recessions, non-recessions, it doesn't matter, but we'll have even more companies come to us now at this point. Yeah, I certainly feel the same way about that. So Jeremy, thanks so much for your time. Why don't you tell us where can people support you? Where's the one place you'd like them to go? If they want to learn more about what we do or get some free resources, uh, just have them go to our, our Facebook group. Just easy. Go to uh, salesrevolution.pro. So www.salesrevolution.pro, salesrevolution.pro. Right when they join, they'll get a DM message from somebody on my team with a free training. So check your Facebook messenger. They'll get a message from one of our people on the team, the free training called the NEPQ 101 mini course. And it's the CEO of my company that breaks down NEPQ from connecting questions to consequence questions to commitment questions. And they'll be able to go out and use those questions just from that guide to be able to go use them in different sales situations they're in that will help them sell more. And we go live in that group three or four times a week with different Q&As, different training on subject matter. So they're welcome to join that if they want their teams to learn how to sell more for sure. Absolutely. Man, thanks again. You guys definitely check out that because I, I know right now, I'm going to do it. I'm going to have my sales guy do it. I'm probably going to have my social media team do it because like we talked about through this episode, everyone is selling something and you're obviously all being sold too. So time to brush up on your skills. Jeremy, thanks, man. Hey, thanks for having me on. It's been a pleasure. I appreciate you guys. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Business Growth Hacks podcast. Be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcast so you never miss an episode. To get more marketing tips and tricks, follow Beefy Marketing on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at Beefy Marketing. And to take your business to the next level, check out our website at www.beefymarketing.com.